Uh, this is not my title, but this is going to move us forward. The, the road to reconciliation with all of what we've heard. Uh, there's many modes of reconciliation. And oftentimes when we hear about reconciliation, we think about it in the form of ethnic groups, in the form of, uh, of people who have been opposing one another. Uh, but I recognize the greatest reconciliation, um, of course, is, is, what, is what Christ did for us and reconciling us to God. Uh, and then that next level of reconciliation, is the reconciliation within ourselves and those closest to us uh, that God has uh, now given you in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he has given you the ministry of reconciliation. Uh, once we receive the ministry of reconciliation, you have now been given the ministry of reconciliation. And he says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God himself is pleading through us. Hear the weight of that. Um, that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, one of my favorite uh, portions of scripture, and he says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And I get this image of while Jesus is on the cross, literally he's pulling this broken humanity and this divine God back together. So he's reconciling, and, and this is how God, God is using Jesus to reconcile the world to himself, which is amazing. And then it says, and that ministry of reconciliation has also been given unto you. Therefore, be ambassadors, be spokespersons, be representatives as though God himself is pleading through you. Not God is just whispering through you. But God is pleading a divine message through you to reveal his glory. And so when we talk about being sons of God, when we talk about, uh, when we talk about embracing the Father's love, we're also talking about how to see that ministry of reconciliation. Last night, um, I shared about Gideon and the call of Gideon and how God dealt with, dealt with Gideon's identity, how God dealt with Gideon's insecurities and, his, and what was intimidating him and, and, and his indignation. And, and I want to kind of cap this moment by taking us to that next step of Gideon's life where now God didn't just deal with, with Gideon's identity, but he began to deal with Gideon's idols as well. Now, I know many of us, we're not just going to openly admit that we have idols and you openly admit that you have an idol you are living somewhat of a reconciled yet you know you, I need to change life but all of us have these things called idols and 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 before Gideon builds an army God asked Gideon to build an altar catch that family before God builds an army God asked Gideon to build an altar. And oftentimes, Sunday school teachings or either the, just the Bible adventures only look at the climax of the story and not the process, which then it causes us to have a consumeristic mindset of the biblical stories where we just want the product, but we don't want the process. God wants to show you the process. So that then you can get the product. God has divine equations that he works through all of the time. And if you follow his process, he says in Galatians, um, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. You will reap what you sow. So he tells us how to begin to sow the right thing to reap the right thing. 
Um, when I get to Judges chapter 6, after Gideon has this encounter with God, or has, yeah, has this encounter with God, and I'm going to pick up in uh, Judges chapter 6, verse 22, um, Gideon has this encounter with God, and, and, and he begins to recognize that there's something different about this man that he's talking to, the angel of the Lord. There was a miracle that was performed, and I don't have time to go into that, but at that moment, that miracle that was performed, uh, the, the, the God, God revealed this power where there was, uh, there was meat and there was bread that was consumed by fire on a rock. And so Gideon's talking to this angel of the Lord and he's been hospitable. He's came out, he came out of his wine press. He offered, the, he offered the angel of the Lord a meal. He did not know it was the angel of the Lord. He's like, man, this visitor has spoke great things over me. Uh, and maybe it's a missionary. I don't know, but he's showing up. And so he gave him a meal, hospitality. When Gideon gave this angel of the Lord the meal, the angel of the Lord picked up his staff and, and pointed to it and, and, and consumed it with fire. At that point, I don't know, last time you checked, if you was with somebody and they picked up their cane and then fire came out of that. When you say, hold on, now you're different. You, you, you're different. If I seen Dr. Strange do the little thing like that. You just, but you just bow, you know. Oh, you got that staff from Mr. Stark. That's what it is. Um, <laughs> and so this moment, Gideon's, you know, Gideon's eyes just are open. And, and that's where we pick up at. We pick up at Gideon's second eye-opening moment. His first eye-opening moment, uh, which he was still kind of a little, uh, he had some cognitive dissonance with what God was saying and with what he, and with what he believed about himself. But the second eye-opening moment happens here at verse 22. It says, but the Lord said to him, peace to you, don't be afraid. I'm, I'm sorry, I skipped the 23, verse 22. When Gideon realized that he was the angel of the Lord, he said, Oh no, Lord God, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Now, I, I, that, that's, <laughs> Gideon's like, oh, oh, I'm in trouble. I, <laughs> you, you, ever, you, know, you ever been around somebody, you didn't know how important they were until somebody else came up and told you? And you were like, oh, man, that was, oh, that was Sam Walton. That was Mr. Walmart himself. My bad. All of your products are good. It's Sam's choice, baby. <laughs> right? so, so at this point, Gideon, his eyes are open, and he says, my eyes have seen the angel of the Lord. Now, now there's a lot of content with, within that right there, and, and, and many commentators and many scholars would suggest, yes, this is indeed an, a, a, a physical revelation of God, but they would suggest that this is what they would call an Old Testament revelation of Christ. Just like in the, in the, in the, with, the with the three hot boys, y'all know the hot boys, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego? Um, the hot boys, when they were in the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> some of my old hip hop fans remember for, they went to BG Juvie, Wheezy. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, guys. Um, and so, so Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they, they were in the fiery furnace. And, 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 and then when they looked in the fiery furnace, the person who was tending the fiery furnace moment, he looked, he said, uh, excuse me. Uh, didn't we put three in there? I just want to make sure. One, two, three. Yes. He says, but there's four. And then this was the revelation. And the fourth one is in the image of the Son of God. <laughs> 
And these moments, you have these moments. Abraham had a visit. Abraham had a visit. He didn't know. And we hear about the angel of the Lord. Remember, Joshua had a visit. And Joshua, he asked, he says, are you with us or against us? And, and the angel of the Lord says, no, I'm, I'm for, I'm, I'm leading the Lord's army. And so, so these moments, we have uh, what many people will call theophanies, where these revelations, this physical manifestation of God um, shows up to us. Uh, and, and now we find that in this moment, Gideon has this moment where he gets, the, he gets one of the closest views of how we got a chance to see Emmanuel walk the earth in this moment. And he says, my eyes have seen the, oh, oh no, Lord God, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And the fear of seeing the angel of the Lord face to face is that anybody who had any ounce of theology knew if you saw the angel of the Lord face to face, normally you were going to die. Or be transformed. God does not waste his presence. Something in that moment when God revealed himself to Gideon declared something has to die. So you can be transformed. Verse 23, but the Lord said, the Lord said, that's how we get the context of who this image and who this person is that Gideon is talking to. Verse 23, but the Lord said to him, peace to you, don't be afraid for you will not die. And Gideon's response begins to set us on a trajectory of understanding the process. Once you get a revelation, there is a responsibility. There is a righteous response that should show a pattern of reverence. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, the Lord is peace. Before the fame part of the story, Gideon taking 300 men and defeating 32,000 Midianites, before all of that, Gideon had to build a place of worship. The, world, the war starts with our worship. I'm so glad that Pastor June began to help us see that it got to move out of our workplace to somewhere else. It has to be deeper because what we're finding out today is that worship is not what we do with our mouths. It's what we do with our hearts. Jesus is not impressed with lip service. We serve a savage Jesus. He said, your, your mouth draws near to me, but your heart is far away. The way I say it, you look good from afar, but you're far from looking good. <laughs> and so in this moment, as we continue, the, 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 next, the next thing, understand, God still has not told Gideon to go build an army yet. Let's keep going. Verse 25 of Judges chapter 6, on that very night, the Lord said to him, take your father's young bull and second bull, seven years old, then tear down the altar of Baal that belongs to your father and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Build a well-constructed altar to the Lord, your God, on top of this mound. Take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. So Gideon took 10 of, 10 of his male servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was afraid, he was too afraid of his father's family and the men of the city to do it in the daytime, he did it at night. Verse 28. 
When the men of the city got up in the morning, they found Baal's altar torn down, the Asherah pole beside it cut down, and the second bull offered up on the altar that had been built. They said to each other, who did this? That's, 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 so, that's so critical. Who did this? Who had the audacity to tear down these idols? Who did this? After they made a thorough investigation, they said, Gideon, son of Joash, did it. It's interesting. Almost every time Gideon is mentioned, it's son of Joash. Son of Joash. Now, his heavenly father, God, is helping him see that there's a greater purpose. And so we still see that, 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 that Gideon is serving as a son. It's interesting that Joash is going to be known because of the son. I'm going to let that rest. Because when you recognize, we know the father because of the son. So when Pastor Brett said that Washington, D.C. is waiting for sons of God to give evidence to rise up so that they will know that God is real. What God is saying in this conference that the Father wants to be known and he wants people to know him through you. In all of this, they didn't, they didn't see Gideon, son of Joash, that there's a relationship that you cannot break with your father. And so he says, okay, okay, uh, son of Joash. Then verse 30, then the men of the city said to Joash, bring out your son. He must die because, because he tore down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, would you plead Baal's case for him? Would you save him? Whoever pleads his case, Baal's case, will be put to death by the morning. Exclamation point. Gave me a reason to yell. Let me keep going. If he is a God, let him plead his own case because someone tore down his altar. That day he was called, Gideon was called Jerubbabel since Joash, since Joash said, let Baal contend with him because he tore down his altar. I want to give this title, topic, subject, and focus for our remaining time. Uh, altered by the altar. God is calling us to be altered by the altar. Gideon, in this second encounter, his eyes have been opened. He, he builds an altar, and this is the first altar that he builds. And I believe when I say altar by the altar, that the altar is where the work begins to happen, A-L-T-A-R. Then God alters us, A-L-T-E-R, by what happens on the A-L-T-A-R. And so God immediately brings Gideon into a space and a place of transformation. He brings us into a place where there has to be a glorious exchange. There has to be that we offer something to get something at the altar is where the work begins to really happen. There's three places specifically in this pericope of scripture that I believe that will help us. One, the altar alters you. That's the first thing. Before it goes anywhere else, the altar alters you. Getting its response to build an altar unto the Lord, let us know that something has shifted in Gideon's heart. Now, when Gideon built this altar, it was a response in verse 22, verse 23 and 24. And then this is what Gideon did. Gideon built an altar and he said this. He says, and the altar was named Jehovah Shalom, which means God is our peace. 
Now, now let me talk about this element of worship because what Gideon did, he began to do an act of worship. Now, worship for us right now looks a little bit different than what they had to do in the Old Testament. Now, they had moments where they sung songs when they said, come on and bless the Lord with me. You play the lyre, you play the harp, and they had choirs when Nehemiah dedicated the wall. They had people singing in all these processions, and that is an element of worship, but there's another element of worship that is, that is, that is grunt work and is bloody. And when you think about the grunt part of worship, that means it takes effort. It's not just an emotional exchange. Worship is actually a recognition of a recognition of truth and a response to that truth. And it's not just, okay, God, thank you for what you've done for me. But notice that Gideon did not build an altar and say, uh, and did not say, and I name this, the Lord is going to bless us for the rest of our life. Gideon in a moment where he's already afraid let me remind you remember he was in the wine press hiding out from the Midianites he was already afraid and so he didn't have peace (laughs) y'all follow me please he didn't have peace Israel did not have peace they didn't have peace with God they didn't have peace with the Midianites they did not have peace with themselves they didn't have peace so Gideon builds an altar to reveal a piece of heaven in their place So he builds something that they needed, but also recognizing that ultimately what we need, we need God to be God. And it says, Jehovah Shalom, that God God is our peace. Now, I want to pause here and talk about worship just a little bit more. I realize that most of us, we have a worship issue. Most of your behaviors, your idiosyncrasies, your natural proclivities, whatever you want to call them, if you're real spiritual, you call them a generational curse. Most of those issues are worship issues. Because somewhere along the line, anytime you're not worshiping God, you're worshiping something else. Israel had a worship issue. Israel had a worship issue. Hence the first commandment that God gave. The first commandment that God gave in the Ten Commandments was, have no other gods before me. Oh, I love this part because in that, he didn't say that there were not other little G gods that people would ascribe some level of deity to. But he says, if you know me, you know there's one God and don't you dare let anybody compete with me. The first commandment, be clear. One God, that's me. Nobody else is like me. And don't you dare put anything else over me. Then you find the second one. The second and the third, they all go in this order where he's saying, listen, don't you make another image? Don't you put some respect on my name? Don't use my name in vain. Don't try to, when he says, don't make it a graven image, he says, don't make me what you think. Oh, man, don't make me what you think I should be. <laughs> right? And so God is saying, I am God all by myself. I am so much God. I have so much more to reveal to you than you have life to live. Hence, I gave you eternal life as the gift so you can find out more about me. Your mind can't handle it all. So I give humanity the gift of story so you can remember that Jehovah Nisi
see is your God from what, from what Moses experienced. So now the story can be passed on so that now when Gideon builds an altar, he says, I'm now writing another revelation. God is our peace. God will give you revelation that is meant to go to the next generation. And so he says in this moment, Gideon builds this. He says, the Lord is peace. And the, and the beauty about this, when Gideon builds this, he's also clothing himself with something. In the midst of turmoil, in the midst of torment, in the midst of fear, remember Gideon, he's the weakest. He's, he's part of the smallest clan. He's the weakest and the youngest. And so for him to say, God is my peace, and God knows I'm about to send you into war, God gave Gideon the best weapon. To walk in a turbulent situation and not be shaken. Come on, guys. Come on. Come on. You know, you know the reason why I like Kawhi Leonard? That's him. All the time. Hit the game winner. Ah! Funny joke. <laughs> That's it. Just right. And the problem is, people can't figure him out. He get on the court. You don't know if he's tired. I'm pretty sure he's the second coming of a different type of Terminator. <laughs> but there's something he's not trying to do a lot. He's like, look, I play ball. That's what I do. I'm, here I am. Yep. Happy. <laughs> I'm angry. And right there. But there's a level of confidence that he walks with that began to say, man, maybe I'm missing something. Because he don't worry about what the ref said. He just keep playing ball. See, when you got the peace of God, you don't worry about what the world says. You just keep on going. So, so, so Gideon builds this thing. The Lord is peace. The Lord is peace. And so now Gideon is clothing himself with the peace of God. And once Gideon does this, remember Gideon dealing with, he had, he was intimidated, he was insecure, and he was indignant. So at this moment, God began to give him something to be able to deal with himself. And so first thing is, the altar alters you. And so while you're here today, while you've been here this weekend, my prayer is that something changes in you first. That you don't sit here and think about, oh, I wish Billy was here because Billy is really jacked up. Oh, I wish, I wish Tom, I wish Tom, Tom needs this. And you start thinking about other people. Before you are commissioned to other people first, God has commissioned himself to you. He wants to deal with you first. Then, after transformation comes the mission. Gideon still has not been told to build an army. and Here's Gideon's first commission. In verse 25, on that very night, the same night, so Gideon had just built the altar. He built it up. Boom, boom, boom. And he has it and he's ready for sacrifice. The Lord is peace. Yes. Okay, this is amazing. I got a revelation. Then that same night, God tells him to do something. On that very night, verse 25, the Lord said to him, take your father's young bull and a second bull. Okay, I got it. I see the two bulls, seven years old. Great. Then tear down the altar of Baal that belongs to your father. And cut down the Asherah pole beside it. See, Baal was the chief idol at that time. It was the chief. It wasn't even a demigod. They just ascribed stuff to Baal. Baal didn't even do anything. And Asherah was considered his mother. This Asherah pole just would travel and it just be places. And, and these two things. Now the problem with Israel is the reason why they are in the circumstances they are in is because they worship foreign idols. 
See, Israel had this propensity to be to, to try to make another God. Listen, I'm not trying to go here that long, but I gotta tell you, here's the thing. They get out of Egypt, right? Let me let me give you some backstory. In, in, in Exodus, God frees them from Egypt. It frees them from Egypt, right? Does a miraculous thing, and he sends 10 plagues. They know it's God because God sent Moses, and this is the God that they prayed to to help them. He parts the Red Sea. They, whoa. He drowns the Egyptian army. Wow. He feeds them when they complain. He gives them water when they're thirsty. Gives them victory in battle. And Moses goes up to get the Ten Commandments. And the first thing they do, they get impatient. And what do they do? They build another little G-God. A golden calf at that. If I'm going to build an animal that I'm going to worship, I want something a little bit more ferocious. I want to build like a lion, a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Like, build something that got some oomph. A calf? You built a hamburger. What are you doing? (laughs) Then they had the audacity to say, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. You just built that God. <laughs> you literally just built that God. And what I find is, though, all of us have the propensity to make idols that make no sense when you look back within your, within, when you're sanity. When you finally sang, you look back and say, nah, that was stupid. That was just, that was, and, and here's the thing. We don't build idols that's called Baal and, Baal and Asherah pole, but we have pornography. We have moments where it went from social drinking past the bread to, to, to actual like, no, you need a drink every day, an idol. Because now you're dependent on something else to bring you peace. You call it, I'm just calming down. Now, I, own, I only smoke a little bit of weed. <laughs> just a little bit. It's just a little bit. Actually, I only smoke it. I vape it now. Yeah, that's why I just, because it keeps it clean. And it's of the earth. It's healthier. Yeah. Yep, you walk around with your little golden calf. Uh-huh. And then you begin to ascribe that calf. I mean, your credit card. I mean, you begin to ascribe that as the one that brought you out. Your money was looking funny all your life, and now you finally got a salary that's more than your mama and daddy combined, and you feel like I done made it. Isn't it interesting? The first place that Gideon was commissioned to was to his father's house and tear down his father's idol. Which means now, here's the thing. Gideon could have went and been indignant with his dad. Like, man, you got us in this trouble. But now getting his dad, Joash, he was like a keeper of stuff. So he was actually safekeeping, trying to serve his community. And we don't know what Joash's theology was, but someplace he compromised. And now his son has been commissioned to be able to help the moment. Instead of being bitter at what your fathers have done, maybe you are the correction to what your fathers have done. And if you look at it and you're bitter and you're mad at them versus on mission for them, you'll miss it. The first place he went. He said this, he says, look, go to your father's house, tear down these idols. And then when he says tear them down, he says, you got to build something up. There's been some stuff that's been passed down that needs to be torn down. When you look at the word father and you look at the Latin word patir, which is also where we begin to get our word pattern from, that the father is supposed to set a pattern. And when the father is not there, there's no pattern. 
And there's this epidemic, there's a sickness that many of us have of a fatherhood womb that cannot be diagnosed by what, what clinical psychologists say. But no, they have something else in the DSM-5 that says that you're sick, that says that you have bipolar, that says that you're schizophrenic, that says that you're anxiety-stricken, that says that you're depressed. But some of it is that you got a fatherhood womb. You got a wound in your heart that medicine can't fix. You got a wound in your heart that a woman can't fix. You got a wound in your heart that a, that a career can't fix, that a degree can't fix, that a, that a 5,000 square foot house can't fix, that a white picket fence and two and a half kids and a white little dog named Scruffy cannot fix. All the likes on IG, all the follows on, on social media cannot fix this. So God sends Gideon to his father's house first. They say the average age of a son, uh, the average age of a male being exposed to pornography is, is at age eight. That's even before he begins to hit any level of puberty, which means now his brain has already been shaped to sexualize the world. And so by the time he hits puberty, he's awaiting the opportunity to participate in the perversion. And so by the time you actually saw a woman, it was already too late. And then maybe you're saying, well, I wasn't exposed to hardcore pornography. Most of the stuff we watch now or that is available on TV has elements of pornography that 30 years ago, it wouldn't have been like that. And it, continued, it went from pictures and magazines to now full-fledged video to then full-fledged stuff on websites where you can get it on demand. Why are they exposed to it at age eight? Because the bell and the Asherah pole was in the house. Listen to me. I remember my first collection that I found. I remember I knew exactly where it was. I knew which room it was in. It wasn't in my brother's room. I remember finding it in my father's house. I remember, I remember finding the idols that began to pervert my journey as a man. I remember, I remember going away from college, and when I gave my life to Christ and I began to follow Jesus, I stopped going to parties, I stopped chasing women, and I was like, yes, I'm going to be a good Christian. And then that's when the addiction to pornography and masturbation began to increase because I was doing nothing else. And then this was my bell and my asherah pole that I got from the other generation. And so here it is. I'm a good Christian boy. I ain't going to the club, and I found myself in a greater struggle when nobody else is around. I remember going back home that first summer, I gave my life, or I would say the Lord captured me my freshman year where I was on fire for the Lord. I was ready to go cold turkey, everything. I was just like, God, I want to walk with you. I remember going back my freshman year in college and going back home in that summer, and I was conflicted because I said, man, I'm scared to go home because when I go home, I struggle more. Because stuff is available, and it reminds me of where I came from, and I remember seeing it trickle from my dad to my brother, then to me. The more and more I walked with Jesus, then I remember one time I had a war room moment. Y'all ever seen the movie War Room? Remember when Priscilla, uh, Shia, I forget her name, character, but she was walking through the house and she kicked the devil out the house. She walked through everything. You won't have my marriage. You won't have my kids. Open up the door and say, be ye gone. I had a moment like that with our bell and our asher pole of a pornography collection at my home. I remember going through the house praying. I said, I refuse to pass on the level of perversion that I've been exposed to. I won't blame my father. I don't know why he got into it, but I knew I couldn't take it no more. And I took a risk. I took a risk. Notice when Gideon got into this place, he says he couldn't do it at night. I mean, he couldn't do it at daytime because he was afraid of his father's family. To remove a bell and an asherah pole is to remove something that somebody deems valuable but is hurtful. Messing with idols, I can just tell you, go crush the idols, but I want to give you some wisdom. That that idol means something to somebody. Most of you all are okay with being in church until the pastor touches on your idol. 
So a lot of us, because our idol has not been touched on, we sit there and listen like, man, this is a good sermon. As soon as they touch on our idol, I'm not really sure the, the direction he's going. I don't like it. I don't like it. It's, you know, it's been too, no, he's legalistic now. Listen, you begin to bother somebody's idols. And I remember going through this moment. I was like, God, I got to serve you. I don't want, but I want to honor my father. What am I supposed to do? And I'm praying through the house. I remember getting rid of the pornography collection. And I remember getting rid of it because I destroyed it. And I was like, man, this is going to be ugly because my, my dad, he, you know, he ain't playing no games. But I was like, God, I'd rather, I'd rather for my father to be upset at me for pursuing righteousness than allowing us to live in sin. And I go through this moment, I pray, and all the adrenaline, it was like I was fighting in that moment. I remember yelling through the house, and I was praying, and I never prayed like that. It's amazing that when God's about to send you on a mission, he'll teach you how to pray. He'll teach you how to worship. And now here it is. I'm like, God, I believe and I declare over my family every blessing that you will support, that you sent, that we, I want that released in my father. I want that released in my mother. I want that released in my brother. And I'm praying and I'm saying, God, I want it to be released in me because I want my son and my daughter to not have to fight the battles I fight. Then you're going to assign a giant to them, but don't let them fight my giant. And so here it is, Gideon, he says, I'm a little afraid, so he can't go at daytime. He went at night, but here's the thing, even when you don't know it, remember Gideon was in the wine press by himself, but then when he goes to crush the idol, he brings 10 other people with him. There are other people waiting to follow righteousness, and they're waiting on you. Who are these 10 people? They're just 10 servants. Now Gideon, who's the youngest and the weakest, got 10 people to walk with him. I don't care what you think your influence is. You are an influencer. There is somebody that will follow you. Where are you leading them? So now these 10, these 10 guys go with him and they take these bulls, they pull them down. And then it says in verse 28, when the men of the city got up in the morning, they found that the, that the altar was torn down, the bell altar was torn down, and the Asherah pole beside it was cut down. Now understand, Gideon tore down the altar and he built a well-constructed altar unto the Lord. And then in this moment it says, they said, who did this? Who did this? And then they, after they did the investigation, Gideon, son of Joash, did it. See, the question, who did this? Then son of Joash, come on, that don't match up because son of Joash, he's a weakling. Who did this, Gideon? No, Gideon, he ain't got it like that. Who did this, the same boy that was, that was threshing wheat in the wine press? Yes, Joash, son, Gideon. Then I love this next part because not only this, the altar begins to alter your home, which Gideon goes to his home, tears down the altar, but then the altar alters your community. Because now we find that when God shifts us, we activate other people to walk in purpose. Those 10 men begin to walk with Gideon in this moment. But when God shifts us, he, it releases redemption and reconciliation. Verse 30 is really what I want to get to because verse 30 says the men of the city said to Joash, bring out your son. He must die. Because he tore down Baal's altars and he cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Joash, something, something, something triggered in him. He's conflicted. I don't love Baal and Asherah more than my son. Mm -mm. I, don't agree. I might not agree with how he did it, but when I think about who I'm supposed to be, I see him doing what I should have done. Joash responded, who stood against them all, who, who, who would plead? Would you plead Bell's case for him? Is Bell really that important, Israelites? Would you save Bell? Whoever pleads his case would be put to death in the morning. 
<laughs> if he is a God, let him plead for himself. Let him plead his own case. Joash stood up. Y'all not going to touch my son. Y'all, I might have messed up. I might have passed it to the last generation. But you're not going to touch my son. Because when the reconciliation came after Gideon's revival, and now here it is, Joash is standing up as a man of God, even if his son calls him to. But he stood up against all the men of the city. He risked his job. He risked his social, his social, uh, his social equity. He says, you're not going to touch my son. And if you do, you have to deal with me. You hear the voice of the father begin to rise up as the son walked in purpose. Some of your fathers, if they're still living, they're going to be blessed because you stood up. Now, my dad is one of the most praying men. He's one of the most encouraging men I have. Every time I preach, he sits in the front row and cries. He stood up because I had to stand up. But he still invested something in me that gave me the ability to stand up. Maybe there was a handicap in him that didn't let him stand up. But I don't blame my dad. I thank him for the manhood that he instilled in me. So when God touched it, I can stand up. And when I look at the combination of who we are now, I wouldn't ask for another father here on earth. Because now I see the heavenly father has transformed him. And I can see my heavenly father even more. And now I'm grateful to say I'm fine with being son of Reginald and son of God. Like yes, I'm a son of the living God. And that's my eternal purpose. But now I see how God worked in my family. Uh, The altar will alter you. It will alter your home. And it will alter your community. That there are people waiting to see you stand up. Whether it's your heavenly father. I mean whether it's your earthly father. There are people waiting to see you. Willing to tear down some stuff to build something up. And I close with this. John the Baptist sees Jesus coming. And when he sees Jesus coming, the first thing he says is this. He says, behold, the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. Pastor Brett, what really gave me joy about this was this. That the work of the Lamb was done on an altar. (laughs) The work of the Lamb was done on the altar. So immediately when John the Baptist saw that, he says, behold the Lamb of God that will take away the sins of the earth. He just pronounced, this is the man that's going to die for you. And Jesus joyfully stepped into that. Because he knew that if we were going to be changed, it has to happen at the altar. You want to know what the altar was? One day when we was lost on a hill called Calvary, they hung him high and they stretched him wide. They put nails in his feet and nails in his hands. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They nailed king of the Jews over top of that cross. The cross was the altar that we were transformed on. And then we saw the blood trickling down. And now we can sing the song, what can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can take away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. How precious is that flow you got to understand that the altar of the cross was when all of our idols was torn down Colossians declares it like this it was on the cross that he made a public spectacle of every principality and every power that used to reign over us and family when when we embrace that as followers of Jesus we become people like Gideon we arise from our weak place And we wage war in the place of worship. The altar alters you, alters your community, it alters your home. 
So then when we get to Revelation chapter 5, we hear it again at the altar. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy is the lamb who was slain from the foundations of the earth. Worthy is the lamb. Now that's worship when the altar has happened. This morning, this afternoon now, I want to encourage you. Will you be altered by the altar? Will you tear down some things, whatever your idols may be? You call them habits, you call them hobbies, but they're getting in the way of you loving the Lord. You just called it as another activity, but it's getting in the way of you loving your wife. It's getting in the way of you loving your kids. And oftentimes the idol in itself is not bad. It's that we ascribe God-like deity to it. I want you to do some heart work now. Holy Spirit, search us. Search us. Do a thorough investigation in our hearts and in our minds. Search us in this moment. Search us. If there's anything in us that's unlike you, search us. Idols that have been passed down from generation to generation. Some of our idols are dispositions dispositions in our mind and our character. We've been, anger has been passed down. You don't even know why you're angry. Just you have a certain tick because you saw it in your father, because you saw it in your grandfather. Lord, we call down, we call down those idols right now. We call down every one of those things right now. Some of us, we were born into jealousy. You always felt left out. You always felt like an orphan. But hear the truth of the Lord bringing down that high place, bringing down that idol and saying that you did not receive the spirit of an orphan, but that of adoption where you could cry out, Abba, Father. We call out every idol that would hinder us from walking into purpose. Everything that's been passed down, the things that we've even generated, the idols that we've built. God bless us with a family, but then we begin to worship that family family instead of worshiping him. God, change our hearts. God, we pray for the job. Now we got the job, but now we think the job is our provider and we forgot it was you. God, change our hearts. God, we're depending on the medicine more than we're depending on you to correct the chemicals in our brain, to deal with the trauma that we had in our past. God, we ask that you would change our hearts. Men, I'm going to ask you to do something as an act of faith, but also as an act of worship. Wherever you are, the altar, the altar is open as well. But if, if you could, I, I encourage you, I want to invite you, if you can, will you bow before our Father in this moment and making it a declaration? Lord, here we are. Here we are. I humble myself before you. Tearing down idols is an invitation to God to be all of who he is in all of every area of our lives. We bow before you, our king. We bow before you, our maker. But we bow before you, our father. As the prodigal son came running back to the father, he dropped down on his knees humbled and recognized nothing else can replace you father I'm sorry I asked for the blessings and I forgot the blessor I'm sorry I don't want what you can give to me I want you Lord I pray for a holy desperation in this place that we would be like a deer panting for the water desperate for you that we will hunger and thirst for righteousness 
that nothing else will be able to fill us, ruin our appetite for pleasure, that all of our pleasure would be found in you and you alone. Bible declares in 2 Corinthians, it says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, the casting down of thoughts or imagination that exhausts itself against the knowledge of God. Men, this is how we fight our battles. We fight our battles on our knees. We fight our battles by declaring, I don't want pleasure. I don't want idols. I want the true and living God. Lord, while we're here in this place, I speak peace, I speak freedom, I speak joy over us, over each and every one of us, a new level of peace, peace that surpasses all understanding, joy unspeakable. I speak new levels of freedom. I speak the gospel, the gospel over us whom the Son has set free is free indeed. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord, proving what is that good and perfect will. Let us not be conformed, Father, hear our voice, hear our prayer. Let us not be conformed to this world, but let us be transformed by the renewing of our minds. God, we thank you for the work that only you can do. We with unveiled faces behold your glory and are being transformed from glory to glory. In Jesus' name, we worship. In Jesus' name, we receive our, our identity that you have written for us. In Jesus' name, we walk in purpose and we do it well. Amen and amen. Come on, let's, let's rise and, and, and praise our Father. If you are able to, we worship him in this place.